We're going to hear an exciting story today. And in just a little while, we are going to start an exciting story ourselves here today. So right from the beginning, I want you to all gather up front, up here. Uh, right up in the front rows. You know that I like audience participation during my sermons. Well, come on up here and get ready to participate. Right up here in front. It's going to be a great morning. So come up here. All of you, come on, come on, come on, come on. And while you're coming, I want to do something. Before I read today's passage, I want to read you some of the previous verses in Acts. Because you'll understand the passage and the sermon better if you know what's going on. So keep coming. All right, the whole point of this story, and the whole story really started a few weeks after Jesus was crucified and then had ascended to heaven, told the disciples to go back in town, wait for the Spirit. And the Spirit had come, and Peter had preached a wonderful sermon. 3,000 people believed. And all of these people from all of these different places, speaking all of these different languages and from all of these different cultures, were being discipled in this new Christian faith, which at the time was considered a new and revolutionary sect of Judaism. Now, things might have been going well for the disciples. The growth was phenomenal, but it wasn't going good for the Pharisees. So let me read just a little bit about what happened Now, this is from the third and fourth chapters of Acts. Acts 3 starts with verse 1, of course. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those in the temple courts, going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he lifted him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gates called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Then Peter preached. Then the people believed. And the authorities noticed. And they didn't like it. Peter and John were arrested, and it got worse the next day. Listen to this. Here's what Luke wrote. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, as were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power and by what name do you do this? Now, mind you, these were religious rulers who had just crucified Jesus 
after an illegal trial. With the near unanimous consent of the entire city, the government then was just as corrupt as our government now. The powerful could do whatever they want. They knew it. The two disciples knew it. And the disciples ignored it. Let me give you an example from my personal experience. A while ago, I took a two-week mission trip to Senegal, a medical missionary trip. It's an overwhelmingly Muslim country. And I'll tell you, it took me only about 48 hours to hate Islam with every fiber of my being. It's a terrible religion in every regard. Literally an empty house. It's held together by awful abuse and threats and violence. It's like if the church was run by the mafia. And here's what it's like. Suppose someone murdered your child and was caught, convicted, and sentenced to death. Justice, right? But if his family were to go to an imam and pay that, an imam is an Islamic cleric, if they were to give that imam enough money, the imam would call the president of Senegal, the president of Senegal, and tell him to pardon the murderer. And the convicted murderer who killed your child would get off scot-free. Because to refuse the imam would be to disparage the name of Allah, the most merciful, his name be ever praised. Your son's murderer would skate. And if you complained about it, a fatwa would be declared against you for the same offense, disparaging the name of Allah. The president would have faced death if he had not granted that pardon. And maybe you too, if you complained. Get the picture? Just like in America today, only we're not quite as open about it yet. Back to our story. Now what? Well, Peter and John came back to the believers, who I'm certain were paying, praying for their well-being. The, the believers were probably scared to death, just like we would probably be, because they knew what kind of terrible men the Pharisees were. So here we go. Acts chapter 4, and I'm starting in verse 23. Peter and John, they reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the, the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and, and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand what should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And they prayed. And the place that they were meeting were shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Wow. There is so much here. But I don't want to get lost in it all. There's too many times. 
we hear a sermon and we say, well, that's an interesting story about them, the people in the story. But to really be a sermon, it has to be about us. In fact, most of it has to be about us. So first, notice they prayed. First option, always. The older I get, and it's been a long time, the more convinced I am that nothing of eternal significance ever happens until and unless we pray. So many times, prayer is our last resort rather than our first option, first impulse. We tend not to pray until the circumstances are dire. I remember a famous story about a ship that was at sea in a terrible storm. And the woman came up to the captain and she said, how bad is the storm? Are we safe? And the captain said, perhaps we should pray. And she said, is it that bad? When it's dire. Well, they were certain, things were certainly dire for these Early believers, how would you feel? The Son of God, their beloved Savior whom they believed in and worshipped, had just been abused, illegally tried and convicted, crucified in agony right before their eyes, and now they were before the men who had done it. You know, we've heard endless sermons about prayer, read countless books about how important it is. How many of us actually believe in it? How many of us actually do it? So many Christians do it because they think they're supposed to. They would feel guilty and kind of out of sorts if they didn't. But they don't really pray. They say prayers. They don't actually think anything is going to happen. Well, these people prayed. Second, they all prayed. All of them. I firmly believe this. It wasn't just Peter and John. I don't know how many times, how many people there were in that room, but it had to be more than just a few. I mean, come on, there were thousands of believers already. They praised God, and then they asked for boldness to proclaim the word of God to the people. And then they asked God to do miracles in Jesus' name. They asked God to do something and actually expected him to do it. They trusted God to answer them. Now, this is obvious to me from reading the text. It just wasn't just that they listened to Peter and John pray. Look at the passage. It says, when they heard this, they raised their voices in prayer. They heard what the disciples said, and then they all prayed. Every one of them prayed, separately and together. They didn't just stand quietly and silently with their eyes closed while they listened to somebody else. And what a prayer. In the face of certain persecution, social condemnation, and perhaps death, they prayed for boldness to proclaim the word of God. And miracles. The stuff that had just gotten Jesus killed. Would you have done that? Would you do that now? Oh, I can, I can hear you thinking. You can't. I can't. Cost too high? Not worth it? You have a spouse and children? Too many responsibilities? You're not good at it? Scared? Don't know enough? Price too high? Afraid of a lawsuit? Arrest? Embarrassment? 
I don't know what to say. You don't know your Bible good enough? Believe me, the day is coming, and it may soon be here, depending on the outcome of this next election, when you face all of that, and perhaps even worse. In fact, your refusal to speak up about Jesus now may bring that day of persecution even sooner. Are you paying attention at all to what's happening in today's culture? Here's an example. Freedom of religion as opposed to freedom of worship. They sound the same, but they are anything but the same. Freedom of religion, we all understand. It's the cherished part of the Bill of Rights in our Constitution. It guarantees your God-given freedom to worship him as you see fit. You certainly want to do that with more than just words, but in every area of your life. This has been the traditional view of our country. It has been firmly held in many Supreme Court decisions until now. Now there is a steady drumbeat of new cases brought before lower-level federal courts, much like the fight for gay rights in the 80s and 90s. A case is being made. A legal foundation of precedence is being established. The new push is for freedom of worship, and it is much more restrictive. It sounds good. Everybody should be entitled to worship God as they see fit, as long as they do it by themselves, preferably in their basement. But its effect will be to completely eliminate religion in the public square, the marketplace of ideas, especially Christianity, where we are so bigoted and exclusive. Even if Jesus Christ himself said it, who would dare actually insult another person and say that there's only one way to heaven? And narrow is the way. Do you know what I mean? Freedom of worship as opposed to freedom of religion. Now, this is just one of a multitude of reasons why the coming elections are important. But I have to tell you that a newly constituted Supreme Court could take a wrecking ball to freedom of religion. And persecution could surely be coming. And if so, evangelism will come with a very high price tag, indeed. You might be shunned. But can you think of a better reason for wits to be shunned? You might lose a friend. But was that person really your friend at all? You might lose your home. But there's a far better home for you in heaven. A mansion, actually. You might even lose your life, but you'll keep your eternal one. Think about it. Think about it hard. Now back to the story. Because third, the believers praised God. They knew who they were talking to. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And then they quoted Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It's all about the sovereignty of God and the weakness of man. They believed God to be in control. They knew God is in control. And most importantly, they trusted God. To be in control. Do we? Do you? 
Are you willing to pray and throw yourselves completely into the sovereign arms of God? To put yourself at his mercy, believing you put, you're putting yourself in the ultimate place of power, not weakness. Forgiveness, not judgment. Love, not hate. Imagine, into the very hands of God. What place could be better? Where could you be that is more safe and secure? How tragic that so few believers actually go there. Have you? Will you? Fourth, they believed God controlled the past, and because of that, he could and would surely control the future. Future might be pleasant, but it would certainly be preordained. Psalm 139 says, All of our days were ordained before one of them came to be. So here's this little band of courageous courageous believers over here praying with certainty that God would deliver them. Perhaps not out of the present danger, but surely to the precise place that he wanted them to be. Now that is not as easy as it sounds. Some of us have had awful things happen to us. All manner of misfortune and tragedy. Abuse, neglect and dishonor. Accidents and attacks. Was God in control in all that? Did God actually allow all that? And yes, he was in control. And yes, he did allow that. The God, the same God who allowed his own son to be unfairly tried and beaten and scourged and crucified, that God allowed everything that has happened to you. Trust me, he did it. And you say, well, why in the world would God have done that? Now listen now. You need to believe what I'm going to say, or you will never leave here with the change God desires. He allowed all that to happen to you to make you the person you are right now and the person he wants you to be. God is the creator, and he is still creating. What happened to you then? What's happening to you now? What will happen to you from now on is transforming you into exactly who and what God wants you to be, if you will allow it, if you will trust him to do you good and not harm, if you throw yourselves into the arms of God, not knowing what it means and not knowing what he will do with you. You see, they accepted the sovereignty of God, totally, personally, and as a group. And fifth and finally, they asked God to make them bold. Now there stood Peter and John before them, and the two disciples had been, to- had been bold and fearless before the Pharisees, and they had overcome the situation. And the believers had their faith to fall back on. They had the example of Jesus to follow. And so they prayed for boldness. In the face of threats and danger, in the likelihood of persecution and possible death, they prayed to go all out. They prayed for the miraculous power of God. Could you do that? Would you do that? 
boldness, miracles. So as encouragement, remember that even the Pharisees knew and acknowledged that the disciples were ordinary men with no special training and no credentials. The disciples had no business doing what they were doing. They weren't recognized teachers. They weren't well-educated. I would declare, I'd venture to say that everybody in this room is better educated than these two simple fishermen. More articulate, more attractive, and surely better dressed. Lack of enthusiasm, lack of social standing, lack of knowledge, lack of credentials, even lack of a plan. None of that held them back. Why should those things hold us back? They can't. And they won't. Unless we let them. So let's not let them. Now I want you to please stand. In fact, I'd like it all better if you came up front as close as you could get. Really, get out of your seat. Now you can do whatever you want, but uh, the point is we got to be together in this. I'm not kidding. I want us all to pray. Just so often all we do is stand there, close our eyes, listen to someone else pray, and wait until it's over. But not today. Not today. I want us all to pray. All of us. And not softly. I want you to pray at a normal level of conversation. Because after all, that's what we're doing. And don't worry. And don't whisper. And please don't shout. Just talk to God. And don't worry about being rude or drowning out somebody else's prayer. God has perfect healing, hearing. Don't worry about it. And besides, don't listen to anybody else. You're talking to God. So are they. Not talking to you. And start with praising God. Then acknowledge problems if you want. But be sure to pray for boldness. For you personally and for all of us. And pray for miracles. Pray that you would leave any weakness any Anything, any fear, any hesitation, leave it. And don't be ashamed to pray for miracles. That was one of the finest prayers I ever heard about. People were praying for a sick child, and one of the men, who the only words he said in the whole prayer was, God, please don't let us be ashamed to pray for a miracle. Pray that God would unleash his limitless power in heaven on behalf of his son in our city. And there's a reason why I want you to pray out loud. I want you to hear yourself praying. I want you to remember what you prayed for. I want your prayer to ring in your ears and heart for a long time, hopefully forever. Then after too long, I promise you not, after too long, I'll, I'll close. And don't worry if tongues of fire don't appear or if we don't start speaking other languages or if the building doesn't shake. If we all pray for boldness, our world will soon shake a lot. So let's pray. Now turn around. I don't want you all looking at me now. Turn around. You're going to pray as a big group. And as a matter of fact, if it would help your imagination, imagine Jesus standing right in the middle. I want you to pray. I'll start. I'll start. And then all of us immediately pray. Lord, you are the God of... I'll start. You are the God of creation you rule your, our world. Your, our lives are in your hands. We commit ourselves to your keeping. We seek your face. We believe you will answer. We expect you will answer. We pray, each of us, all of us, we pray for boldness to proclaim you to our world. And we pray that you will perform miracles in the name of Jesus.
Now hear us as we all pray. Lord, you are God and there is no other. There is no other God. You are God. You sent your Son as a personal sacrifice so that we could be your children. You sent your Spirit to us. And now we pray that that Spirit would be manifest in our hearts and minds. That we would speak it. That we would love it and we would obey it in our minds and hearts. Lord, West Dallas is before us. Its citizens need you and they need us. And we pray that you would put us in their hands and in their hearts to win their minds and souls for your Son. We pray in Jesus' name and for his glory only. And all God's people said, Amen.